So uh, there is what I call or I think of as a good fear and a bad fear. Uh, and I see this with Micah often now that he's kind of at the age. He just turned four this past week. And so he's at the age where he's starting to do a lot of new things. And sometimes that results in, well, oftentimes it results in fear. And sometimes it's kind of a bad fear, like uh, it shuts him down. You know, um, I remember, you know, he's kind of at the height where he can start to ride certain rides, like at Disneyland, for example. And so the last time we went, I was like, hey, do you want to go ride, you know, Gadget's Go Coaster? <laughs> it's like this very small roller coaster in Toontown. You know, he is tall enough to ride it. So I was like, yeah. And, you know, he's never ridden anything like that. Like, he's only been on, like, you know, the carousel or, like, Dumbo or those kinds of rides. And so I'm like, yeah, let's go on this little mini, you know, roller coaster. And he was all excited about it, actually. He's like, yeah, yeah, let's go ride it. And even before we were there, like, in the vicinity, he's like, yeah, I really want to go ride it. And then we go there, and we get close, and as we get close, he sees it, and he sees the thing going around, and he's like, <laughs> you know, he's walking, and usually when he gets scared, he's like, he's like, Appa, like, I want you to hold me. So I hold him, but I'm still going towards the coaster, right? So I'm just in line, and we're going through it. And he's like, no! He starts going, you know, the closer we're getting, and there's not really a line, he's, he's like, no, no! And then he starts screaming, like, no, I don't want to do this. And, um, you know, at that point, I was like, all right, fine. <laughs> you don't have to do it. So I pull him out of line. We just go back. And there's that kind of, and that's kind of what I call the bad fear. And it's not, not that it's necessarily bad to have that kind of fear. But sometimes there can be a kind of fear that is arresting, right, that is paralyzing, that doesn't allow us to do anything. But in another sense, there's a good fear, right, when we're, when we're, in, in a similar vein, when we're trying something new, or it can be the same situation, but when you actually go on the roller coaster, right? Or, uh, you know, I mentioned to you guys that, you know, Micah, he started soccer. And he never played, he's never played any kind of sport. And so him starting, when he was starting, he was really nervous, right? And the first time he went, he met all his teammates. He had some fear. There's some, there's some trepidation there. And the first time we went to the game, you know, he got dressed up in his little soccer clothes, his socks, you know, like they wear long socks in soccer. His socks can go up to probably my leg right here. And so on him, it's like all the way, we have to roll him down and he's like dressed up in it and he goes, he doesn't know anything. And by the way, I hate soccer, you know, and I'm not interested in soccer at all, but it's just like an easy sport for kids to learn. And so he's doing it. And every time there's this fear, like he doesn't want to go. He's really excited about it, but right when we get there, he's kind of like, oh, I don't know if I want to do this. But when he steps into it, he actually enjoys it more. There's this excitement because of his fear. Now, there is a kind of good fear, I think, that is associated with following Jesus that is associated with the gospel, that is, in fact, associated with what we celebrate today, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And what we're, what we're going to be looking at today is, what is that? You know, what is the fear and, you know, the Bible says there's fear and great joy. What is the fear and great joy of the gospel? And how can we 
as followers of Jesus step into it. That's what we're going to be looking at today. And so if you guys have your Bibles, let's go ahead and open them up to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 28. And um, we're going to start in we're going to start in verse one. Matthew 28 and verse one. And if you don't have your Bibles, you can just kind of look up at the screen. And uh, we'll, we'll read through we'll read through verse 10, but we'll kind of take it piece by piece. Matthew chapter 20, verse 1, this is God's word, and it says, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. So just real quick, Mary Magdalene was a woman uh, from whom Jesus cast out seven, seven demons from uh, Luke 8. And the name Mary, you know, Magdalene just kind of indicates that she was from Magdala. There's a bunch of Marys <laughs> in the Bible. There's like Mary, the mother of Jesus. There's uh, Mary Martha. There's Mary Magdalene. There's another Mary who's mentioned here who is another Mary. This other Mary is the mother of James, you know, uh, one, of the, one of the apostles uh, and, and Joseph. Just So kind of just identifying who these women were. Now, it is significant. One significant thing here is that they are women that... Uh, they happen to be the main characters of of this part of this story, the the first witnesses. It, it's significant because women were not generally regarded as credible witnesses to something in this time. So it is that that is actually a, a really significant note here. Let's uh, read on in verse two. It says, "And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it." His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Okay, so the women are going to the tomb. And behold, the Bible says there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven. So it seems like the angel is the one who has caused this earthquake. And the stone has been rolled back. Now, the stone would be five to six feet in diameter and about 2,000 to 4,000 pounds, like a couple tons. So the fact that the stone has been rolled away is, is pretty significant uh, by this angel. It says the angel looked like lightning. His clothing was white as snow. It basically means he was bright and shiny, kind of like that he was radiating some kind of light. And the guards were scared. Right? It actually says that fear, for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. There's a lot of wordplay going on here. Um, that's hard for us to kind of pick up in the English. But uh, it mentions this fear, and it says the guards trembled, and that actually the word is similar to the word earthquake. And then it says they became like dead men. Obviously, they're supposed to be guarding a dead man in a tomb, but they themselves become like dead men at the appearance of an angel. So there's kind of some flipping going on here. Now, why were the guards afraid? Well, obviously because an angel appeared and just moved a, a big giant stone pretty easily. And so they're freaked out by that. The guards are probably afraid for their life. They see this creature. They're just like, okay, I don't know what the heck this is. So I'm freaked out. And they become terrified in that situation. So that we can all understand. Now, let's read on here, verse 5. It says, but the angel said to the women... Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. 
Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings, and they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. So it's interesting, the, the angel completely ignores the guards. So the guards are there, they get freaked out, but the angel pretty much doesn't care about them. And he just goes straight to the women and he says, don't be afraid. So, so here's the angel's message, right? Don't be afraid. It's kind of four things. Don't be afraid. He's not here. He's risen. Go and see him. Or not him, but go and see, go and bear witness or go and witness it. Go and see that he's not there. Witness the evidence and then go quickly and tell the others that he's risen from the dead and he's going to meet you in Galilee. Right? So don't be afraid. He's not here. He's risen. Go see and then go tell others. And then it says in verse 8, the women, the way that they respond, they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy with fear and great joy, and ran to tell his disciples. So I want to talk about that phrase just for, for a bit here. Fear and great joy. Now, the word joy appears in the Bible, um, you know, hundreds of times, right? Uh, over 200 times the word joy, and depending on, you know, how you want to break down the uses of the word. But the term great joy, that construction, that kind of, Again, depending on your phraseology, but the way it's used here, great joy, that really only appears in the Bible, basically describing seven events in Scripture, right? One is in uh, 1 Kings 140. It's the height of Israel's kingdom when uh, David anoints Solomon as his successor. One is in 2 Chronicles 30 when Hezekiah restores the Passover after generations of neglect. The people have neglected, you know, really all the law, but they've, they've neglected the Passover for so long. And Hezekiah, he finds it. He restores, you know, the Passover. They're going to they're gonna have the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And after generations of just not doing that, and there's great joy is used in that passage um, and then there's just one more in the Old Testament when Nehemiah rebuilds the walls after the, the return from exile, ne- Nehemiah 12. And then there's four in the New Testament, uses of great joy. One is when Jesus is born. I give you good news of great joy. One is here at the resurrection. Another is when the gospel goes to the nations, Acts 15, the Jerusalem Council when they realize that the gospel is for everyone, not just the Jews. And then the last one is, uh, is Jude 24. It's really part of a benediction at the end of Jude, which talks about our future, the, the future of God's unbridled presence, that there will be great joy. Now, what's interesting here, though, unlike all the other passages that I mentioned, is that fear is also mentioned. So it's not just great joy, but it's fear and great joy. Now, as I said, there's a, 
bad fear and a good fear, right? There's a, the bad fear that kind of drives us to inaction or maybe foolish actions because we so heavily weigh everything that could go wrong versus the things that could go right. Now, bad fear is rooted in our self-centeredness. It's rooted in our belief that we are at the center of the world, the, back, the, the, the fact that the world should kind of revolve around us all the time. And it's not hard to see where we get that notion because really almost a, a lot of what we do in the world today revolves around us. You know, in particular, like for example, your phone. Uh, your phone revolves around you and because so much of your life is designed around your phone now, like the music you listen to, the things you watch, right, uh, news that you get, like you can kind of filter that in and out. Social media obviously is all about your life. It's like this very specifically tailored machine that you have, this device that you have. And that's why we, we love it. You know, that's why our phones are so important to us. It's very personal, right? I remember somebody was saying, um, you know, if you can't go to the bathroom without your phone, then you have like a problem, <laughs> Right? Something's wrong with you. If you have this compulsion that when you go to the bathroom, it's like you also think, oh, shoot, where's my phone? My, like, I don't have my phone with me. Then it's like, oh, no, like something, something has gone wrong in us. Um, I was actually, uh, I was reminded of this. Uh, there was this uh, episode on This American Life on NPR, right? And uh, Ira Glass, he was interviewing these teenage girls about what the world is like today. And he, he kind of wanted to discover uh, life as a teenager with a smartphone, right? So he got these three girls, Ella, Jane, and Julia. So they come into the studio, and he's interviewing them. And he kind of narrated, like, what happened, you know, in a very, in the way that he does, I won't imitate him. But, you know, like that very kind of calm, you know, collected voice. And he's talking about what they do. They come into the studio, and the first thing that they do is they take a selfie, Right, And so they get together, they're kind of posing for the picture, and he just describes it. He's like, you know, they take a picture, they look at it, and people are commenting on their own face, you know, and how they look or how they appear. They take it again, and they take it again, and then they say, no, 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 like, dude, take it again. So they take it again, and then they're like, oh, you, you weren't, you know, you were making like a funny face. Take it again, and they take it again, and then, you know, one of the girls is like, let's take it again. One of the other girls is like, we're here to do an interview, let's just post it. So they're posting it online, and as soon as they post it, they're just, looking at their screen, right? They post it, and then they're just looking, and he's describing this. It's like they're staring at their screen, and they're, he's actually asking them, like, what are you doing? And they say they expect two or three likes within the first minute, right? If they don't get two or three likes within the first minute, then they think something's wrong. And they, ex they expect within the, the first couple minutes um, some comments that will follow, one-word descriptions like gorgeous or pretty or stunning or beautiful. And he gets into all the nuances of it as he interviews them that this is not just... Because we might think, oh, that's just some teenage girls, you know, and that's kind of the world that they live in today. But he says this is a very... It's a much more complicated thing than that. There's this social obligation. There's this game of give and take. And there is a ton of affirmation and identity and even loyalty, even in a sense, almost like brand loyalty that goes along with 
the things that we do on social media. One of the girls says, I'm a brand. Another of the girls says, you're trying to promote yourself. And Ira Glass says, and you're the product. Oz Guinness, you know, author and social critic, he said about this age, to summarize our culture today, he says, I post, therefore I am. See, our world tells us that the success of our plans and our purpose are predicated solely on what we know, think, and do. And when that control is threatened, we become afraid. We do everything we can. We speak and act and even manipulate to preserve that control. And that's, that's the root of bad fear. The fear that encourages us to see tragedy around every corner, to blame people often before anything has even happened yet. The fear that causes us to feel paralyzed and incapable and inadequate. But there's also a good fear. Right? There's a fear that assigns appropriate gravity to a situation or a decision. A fear that indicates there's something at stake, something to be gained or lost. Right? Like I was afraid when Boomi went into labor. Right? Both times. I was I was you know, you just all of a sudden when it starts happening, you're just like, oh shoot, what's it, what's going on? Oh, okay. You know, and all of a sudden you realize like you didn't do stuff or, you know, like, what do we got to do? We got to go to the hospital. Like, all of a sudden, I started I started thinking about a bunch of stuff. And generally, I'm pretty calm. Like, if you've been with me in a crisis situation, I'm generally pretty calm. But in that situation, I was, like, forgetting stuff. I'm like, where's, where's the back? Like, we got to get this and get that. I was scared, but it was a good scared. Right? I was afraid when I got married. I was afraid when I proposed. I was afraid when I preached my first sermon. I was afraid when I started seminary, even college. I was afraid when I drove a car for the first time or, for that matter, rode a bike. There's a, there's a good fear. So that story, I, I read that story about social media in this book, and, and that the book went on to describe uh, something later, an interview with um, a woman named Nancy Jo Sales, who... Uh, I don't remember the title of the book, but she wrote this book about something similar, social media with teenage girls. And um, one of the girls said in an interview, she said, social media is destroying our lives. And then she asked her, she says, so why don't you go off of it? You know, it seems reasonable, right? Like if it's destroying your life, you should stop doing it. But then this was her response. She said, because then we would have no life. That was interesting to me. You know, and, and the author of this book, he, you know, Trevin Wax, he phrased it this way. He said, my idol is destroying me, but if I smash my idol, then I disappear. Andy Crouch, he wrote this in a, in a similar topic. He said, an ability to calm the noise enough to read and cry over a story or to listen with a friend to one short passage of scripture read over and over four times with long silences in between and the prerequisite for that kind of attention, though I would not want to exaggerate how much I managed to attain it, was a sense of my own smallness. The bad fear is rooted in our self-importance. 
right? The, the belief that we control so much. And so much of what people think of us, what happens in our lives, what our purpose is, what our identity is, we are in control. And so if we make a misstep, if we mess up, if we fail, if somebody sees something about us that we don't want them to see or recognize, that could be disastrous. There's a lot of fear in that. What does this mean? It means I'm a bad father. It means I'm a, I'm a bad husband. I'm a bad pastor. I'm a bad son. I'm a bad person. If anything could point to any or all of those things, then I'll be perpetually afraid. But the good fear is rooted not in our significance, but in our smallness. It's rooted in an acknowledgement that we are not the center of all things. It's the acknowledgement that our, ab- our ability matters very little. Why are these women afraid? Because some power has been demonstrated in the empty tomb? Of course, sure. Right? Somebody's been resurrected from the dead. That's certainly some great power. And that can cause fear in us. Because of the appearance of an angel? Yeah, probably. There's a gleaming angel that's like moving a two-ton stone, no problem. That would cause some kind of fear in us. But there's a different fear in these women than the one in those guards. Because the one in those guards, they were afraid for their lives. But these women received word from the angel. Don't be afraid. He's not there. He's risen. Go see for yourself and go tell other people about it. They leave the tomb with fear and great joy to deliver a message. They're not afraid that they're going to die. They're not afraid that something's going to happen to them. Their fear is driven by the sense that they have been folded into a much bigger story that God's doing something and all of a sudden they're a part of it. There is weight and significance to now what they have to do. They have to go and deliver this message. They don't want to mess it up. This is God's own story. It's unfolding before their eyes. That's what the empty tomb represents. That God has powerfully stepped into our story And he has lived and he has died and he has conquered so that we might be folded into his. At the heart of bad fear is the sense that we're not enough, right? Not strong enough or beautiful enough or smart enough or skilled enough or cool or relevant enough. Simply that we're not good enough. And so the fear is that we might be exposed that the inadequacy we feel in our hearts might be proven true. But the heart of good fear, the fear of the Lord, is the gospel, which says, of course you're not good enough. That's the whole point of what Jesus did. That's why he came, and that's why he died, and that's why he rose again, which is evidenced by this empty tomb. The gospel says Jesus was and is more than good enough for you. He's the perfect sacrifice that wipes the slate clean. And through, it, through him, God offers you a new heart and a new spirit. And this empty tomb and this appearance of the angel to deliver this message is evidence of that. And that leads us not just to fear, but to fear and great joy 
That's my one and only point today. The fear and great joy of the gospel is that we have been folded into the life-giving story of God as witnesses and messengers. Now, how can we, how can we step into that? Um, so this passage is all about messengers and messages, right? Uh, an angel, really, the word angelos in the Greek really just means messenger. So an angel is a messenger. This messenger comes to deliver a message to these women. And then these women, who were regarded really not significantly in their own society, become the most significant messengers. They carry now this message. Don't be afraid. He's not here. He's risen. Go see and bear witness. And then on the way, Jesus meets them himself. And he says, greetings. It's a, you know, commentators note that the way Jesus appears is so, like, casual. He's just like, hey, what's up, guys? You know, I'm back. Right? And he reassures them. He says, don't be afraid. Right? Obviously, he's, he's, re, he's, reiterating the message. He's not there. He's risen. Obviously, Jesus is, he doesn't have to say that. He doesn't have to say, I'm not there. I'm risen because he's there. And he doesn't have to say, see me, you know, because they're seeing him, but he does reassure them. He says, go tell the disciples to meet me. And at the end of this passage, at the end of this book, in fact, is the Great Commission, the women do succeed in their mission. They tell the disciples, the disciples come, they meet Jesus, Jesus meets them, and he says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And surely, and he reassures them at the end, he says, surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age to the end of the age, till I come back, till this is all over, till the mission is 100% done. That is God's call for us simply to be witnesses. That's what we're doing here today, by the way. We are being witnesses to the power and the glory of God. And I just have really one encouragement for us as we go from here today is to be messengers, to bear witness to who Christ is, to the fact that he came, to the fact that he died, to the fact that he rose again, most powerfully demonstrated by this empty tomb, that message that was delivered to those women, that was delivered to those disciples, that has been delivered to us to carry that on to the end of the age and to know Jesus is with us every step of the way. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father God, we thank you so much for the empty tomb. God, we thank you so much that you invite us into a a fear and great joy, God. Not a not a bad fear that's based on us, not a bad fear that that sees 
all the misfortune and disaster and tragedy that might befall us around every corner, God, but a good fear, God, a a fear of you, a reverent fear, a fear in knowing that we're not the center of everything, God. We're not in control of everything in our lives. And while that brings us to a certain fear, it also brings us back to your comfort and assurance every single time, God. Thank you so much for that. Thank you so much for that gospel, that truth. that assures us time and time again. God, we want to step into that once again today. May we be witnesses to your glory and your grace and your love today. And may we bear witness as we go forth from this place that you're not dead, God, but you're alive. Jesus, that you're risen. you have for all of us an incredible grace and joy and life in you thank you so much god we love you in jesus name.